It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. What's up, kid folk? Welcome to the number one ranked show. I am your host, RJ Young, and it is my pleasure to welcome in my buddy, the big guy, our NFL analyst at Fox and I should say maybe the mastermind behind Big Boys Club, which premieres April 24th on Fox Sports Digital. And we're going to chop it up about this. Jeff, how you doing, buddy? I am good. I am glad to be here. And yes, we have exciting news. And the draft is coming up soon, man. It feels like all the preparation, right? All the college football we watch, all the NFL we watch, all culminates in this week, in this draft. And I cannot wait for it to all go down. I'm glad to be here. Right on, brother. Like, I think that this NFL draft, is really, really deep at offensive tackle. First, am I just a short dude that doesn't know what he's talking about, or am I right here? <laughs> it, it is deep as far as the, the amount of talent you might get from rounds one to three. Is it as good at the top as previous years? No, right? I mean, last year with Panay or Sean Slater, a year before that with the top four guys, probably not as good there, but the depth you might find after the top four, kind of like a, a grouping of four, is pretty good, and, and you'll find guys right away that can play, but the top is not quite the same as it's been the last couple of years, but that doesn't mean you're not finding guys early in the draft that can be really good NFL players. It's always interesting to me to see which one of the big ugly steps out and steps in front yeah. of little guys like myself, quarterbacks, wide receivers, and whatnot. And this year feels like one of those guys is Alabama offensive tackle, Evan Neal, who is featured in big boys club. Yeah. What can you tell me about Evan and his work ethic? Oh, man, Evan's fantastic. Evan was about 400 pounds in high school um, at, at IMG, and he has worked all the way. We saw the uh, the pretty cool clip of him uh, at the Combine, really slimmed down there, right, 337 pounds. He looks great. He's down in, in Dallas working out with my buddy Duke Mannyweather. And, um, dude, he's played everywhere at Alabama. He's played guard. He's played tackle. So he's had to sacrifice kind of moving around the offensive line depending on on what talent they have. That's a very good quality to have, to be able to play well at guard, at right tackle, and now at left tackle. And to see him work, man, he's the most skilled pass protector uh, at the top of this draft for, for offensive linemen. He's very smooth out there, got his good hands. And obviously, when you play Alabama, you're playing good competition too, right? I think a lot of the problem with scouting offensive linemen now is that you watch them play and they don't play anyone either that's going to be in the NFL or their scheme and technique is kind of nothing what they're going to do in the NFL. So it's hard to comp guys when you see certain film. Not with Alabama, right? You're, you're playing Georgia. You're playing Cincinnati. Like You're playing teams with, with excellent defenses week in and week out. And so you're able to watch Evan Neal and be like, okay, well, this is what it will look like in the NFL. Yes, there's things to clean up. He falls off of blocks late and whatnot. But you get to see it. Okay, this translates really well. And I think that's very important when you're drafting him early on is because he played well in the SEC. He's probably going to play well early on as an offensive tackle as well in the NFL. 
one of the things I think is super underrated that you mentioned there and I want to piggyback on is the guys he's playing against, yeah. right? Like Will Anderson is a dude. Now he's not oh, yeah. draft eligible until next year. Yeah. But when you see that caliber of player, Dallas Turner, you're going to get tested. But my favorite quote from Evan throughout this process is just don't stick me at center. Like he, he knows who he is, right? He knows, hey, I can play either guard spot, either tackle spot. Just don't have me snapping the football. But I want to ask, is he your best offensive lineman or your top offensive lineman in this draft? Yeah, he's my top tackle. I think when I, I go back to last year a little bit, and, and I can get very intoxicated. I think a lot of us that, that, that evaluate offensive linemen get intoxicated by run blocking, right? And we look at last year with Panay Sewell and with Rashawn Slater, and you watch Panay Sewell's college film, and you're like, wow, the run blocking is incredible, right? The explosiveness that which he plays with is fantastic. He overlooked a little bit of the flaws and pass protection. We go to Rashawn Slater, who was drafted by the Chargers right below Panay Sewell. You watch his college film, excellent pass protector, right? Like there were no flaws in pass protection and the run blocking, there were things he had to work on as well. Fast forward to the first NFL season, Slater was better. Panay got better throughout the season, but kind of being that good pass protector really helped him, I think, early on. When you, when you evaluate these offensive linemen in this draft, look at Evan Neal and you look at Icky from NC State, and Icky is the best run blocker of any offensive lineman in the draft, but his pass protection is just not as good as Evan Neal. So I lean toward the guy that's a better pass protector playing some of those better defensive ends. I can teach him, not I, but an offensive line coach can teach him how to finish a little bit better in the run game. You know, Icky's issue with oversetting guys in college that's hard to fix in early on in, in, in your career. And a lot of NFL teams view him as a guard as well. So to me, it's Evan Neal one. I, I think Icky's a close two in the tackles. And there's obviously guards and centers who I like as well. But tackle for me, O-tackle one is Evan Neal. And he should be the first tackle off the board, I think. Say, brother, for the listener, who is Icky? Uh, Icky Kwanu from uh, NC State. He's the left tackle. Uh, he's a little – he's a – He's not undersized, but the, the pass protection issues are a little bit concerning just because he oversets, right? So he sets kind of too far. He's too aggressive in his pass sets. And you worry that if it's fast for him in college, pass protection, he just goes so fast, right? Then the NFL, when things ramp up a little bit, he just goes even faster. And he might be a guy that a lot of teams view as a guard, which probably pushes him down a tiny bit in the draft, if if the teams at the top feel that way as well. I know some teams that aren't really in a position to draft him view him as a guard. Um, you know, most teams don't take guards high unless they're Quentin Nelson, right, or, or, or like Brandon Sheriff. Like you don't really get those guys. You mean you mean one high. of the best of all time, yeah. like the, the dude everybody talks about? Yeah. So you know, Icky's not quite there as a guard. So, um, but those are one and two. I mean, I, I don't really see any team. Uh, deviating from those two guys, those are probably the first two tackles taken. Hey, man, like you had me, right? Once you said Evan Neal and you're putting him in uh, sentences with Panay Sewell yeah. and Rashawn Slater. But I got to ask, on top of that, is there Rashawn Slater for you in this class? A guy that perhaps the rest of us don't know a whole lot about or didn't know a lot about until the NFL draft last year, yeah. who has absolutely turned into a dude down in Miami. Yeah, it, it's a good question. I think for me, you know, the, the closest comparison, at least pass protection wise, is probably Charles Cross from mm. Mississippi State. I, they're different players, uh, so they're not quite the one on one comparison. But if you look at pass protection wise, if you're looking for someone to protect the passer, that's Charles Cross from Mississippi State. Um, you know, my concern with him, and it's a concern with, with him, it's a concern with guys drafted previously, it's a concern with other guys in this draft, is these air raid offensive tackles. It's not Charles Cross's fault what offense he played in, right? He wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't, he didn't sign at Mississippi State to play in this offense with Mike Leach. But there's a long track record 
of offensive tackles drafted high in the draft out of the air raid offense that are complete flops in the NFL. And Charles Cross is better athletically than Austin Jackson, than Andre Dillard, than, than some of the Washington State guys of the past. So he profiles better there. He's a much better pass protector. He's got better balance, longer arms. I mean, all those things are good. It's just, again, that transition period has been really tough. When you go from an offense where you're throwing the ball. I mean, he had, I think he had 700, 750 pass protection reps this season. That's wild. That's a lot. And again, it's three-man rush. I went to watch Alabama game. I wanted to see him against Will Anderson. It never happened because Alabama didn't have to rush Will Anderson in that game, right? Like you sit back in coverage against those teams. So I do wonder if there's a little bit of a transition period for him in the NFL, just kind of getting used to playing in a, a much different offense uh, once he gets there. But as far as pass protection wise, he's probably closest to Slater. There's no one, in my opinion, I mean, Slater's tape against Chase Young was really good. I mean, like, I think that's, we overlooked that. I think, I don't know why I should have not done that, but it was really good. And guess what? He was really good in the NFL against Chase Young and everyone else. Hey man, uh, for those of y'all that don't know, Jeff and I have this running dialogue about the air raid in particular. I being a short, small, fast guy, really like air raid offenses. And my man, Jeff looks at these as like, what am I doing here? Standing up? Are these tight ends? What are these guys doing here? No, it's, this is- it's not, it's not. Okay. Here's what it is. <laughs> I have to explain this. Okay. It's, it's one school. I don't, I don't like USC doing it. And the reason why is because the air raid offense, you mentioned it, right? It's four. Typically it's four teams that don't have the, the five-star prospects, right? It's for smaller, quicker guys to get in space, find advantages. USC has five-star wide receivers. They have Drake London. They don't need running the air raid offense. Now they're, they're done with that air raid offense, right? It's gone. I mean, it's a power raid with looking Riley now, but it's not like that Graham Harrell, just Mike Leach, drop back and throw the ball 70 times a game. So that's my problem with air raid offense. I don't like it at USC. Anywhere else, Tulsa, be my guest. Hawaii, go for it. It's just it's just not at USC. I don't like it. Don't give my blue blades and a blue bloods and air raid offense, says my man Jeff Schwartz. I want to get into big boys club here, though. Yeah. I want to get into you. And more importantly, for the sake of this discussion, yeah. Duke Mannyweather. Who is this person to you? Yeah. And why is he the guy that so many offensive linemen want to be coached by? So Duke and I played high school football together at uh, Pacific Palisades uh, for, it was one year next to each other. I got moved up in the middle of my sophomore year. He was one year ahead of me. We played really senior, his senior year, my junior year. And, and we just kind of stayed in contact. And then we became really good friends. We both went to, he went to Humboldt State. I was at Oregon. We, we communicated, we traveled and saw each other a bunch. And we become obviously very good friends since then. And, um, you know, whatever your passion is out there listening, that's what Duke has for offensive line, like tenfold, man. Like his life is offensive line. He's always been this way and he studies the position. He studies the technique. And more importantly, I think he studies the body really well, right? Like he, he knows what an offensive lineman's body needs to be special. He can watch film and see, okay, a guy's knee is flaring out here. His glutes not activated here. His feet aren't working in the right place, his posture and whatnot. And then he can bring you into Dallas or wherever he's going to train guys and get you right. He, he tailors the program to you. I think that's very important when you see these kind of training complexes. It might not be as specific to that. So it's all offensive line. It's all he does, man. He'll come visit me. And I remember last time he came here, it was 10 a.m. RJ. He was at my island watching like some D3 film, drinking a beer. Like he is, I, I texted him today. I said, 
I, I said, who's the Quinn Miners of this draft, right? We, we, we saw Quinn last year on Big Boys Club with a third-round draft pick from uh, D3 uh, Wisconsin-Whitewater. And he said he was watching a player from Mercer, from Mercer, who reminds him of, of Quinn Miners. So, like, this is all he does, and he's just really good at it. And I think, again, it's very important that he knows how the body works. And, I, and when you talk to him about certain guys' flaws – he might not just say like, oh, his hands are bad. He's like, well, you know, his shoulder and his lats aren't engaged. Like there's things he can help you with and help players with that are very important. And not only does he do a bunch of the combine guys, he's going to have three guys in the first round. He had, he had seven picks last year in the top 70. The pro guys come see him too. All pros come to Dallas and train with him all offseason. So um, he's just a very, a very special guy when it comes to the offensive line community. Shout out on two fronts. One, Quinn Miners, because like I saw that dude in Senior Bowl, and then everybody told me what was really good. And then the Mercer pull. That was a pay game for Alabama like four years ago. Like, seriously, <laughs> that's a pull there, man. Nobody else is talking about Mercer and what those guys are able to do out there. But in this particular draft, yeah. right, we're talking about the guys that come to Duke. We're talking about the guys that come to you. And then we're talking about how you guys – evaluate and chew the film on yeah. each one of these guys. But I'm more interested in who you have seen in person who has stood out to you. The guy for which yeah. when he strikes, everybody hears it. I, I mean, it feels like Trevor Penning, man. Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa. You know, there's, there's stuff to work on, of course. He's a smaller school guy. Taking stuff, But man, when you talk to him and you just see his physical structure of his body, dude, he's a special athlete and he just has a little screw loose. Like he's a great offensive line guy. Like when you talk to a man, he just has like this, this, <laughs> you can see in his eyes, he's an offensive lineman. Um, and he's a free, he's like six, seven, three twenty-five, can dunk a basketball. Like he's just a freak show dude. WWE and, superstar, and, man. Yeah. And, and he's a guy that it's going to take a little bit of time to develop probably as he comes to Northern Iowa, smaller school, you know, they play Iowa state, like one game a year, right. Where he kind of gets those, those D one type players he's playing against. But uh, to me, I mean, I was very impressed when I saw him in person, um, just his build, his thickness of his legs. Um, and you'll, you'll, you'll see in our show, we do some fun things as well. I mean, he's got giant old feet. Like he's just a big, a big human and he loves ball. Hey man, don't sleep on Northern Iowa. They can play a little football down there, dog. They can, yeah. I'm just, I, look, this is another ongoing dialogue. I like the little folks. <laughs> Jeff is an elitist. I am. He likes his USC's and his Oregon's. I like my Oregon's. You know, and I'm over here going Mercer, Northern Iowa. No, but I really enjoy that you can find a guy like that at Northern Iowa. One, so they get some shine. But two, that I tell the kids this all the time, and you know that I'm covering the United States Football League. Yeah. There are players everywhere. Right. And when they're able to get to folks like you or get to folks like Duke, I'm always thrilled for them because that significantly, significantly raises their profile. Yep. How it, is playing offensive line in college compared to the NFL? We're talking about a modern style. Yeah. Well, a couple of things. Uh, one, and I mentioned this with, with Charles Cross a little bit, is that it's just a different style of game. Right. So you're going from a lot of times these offenses in college that are Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline up-tempo that you know are very spread out that are not very sophisticated 
um, and you go into the NFL where it's just, it's just not that, right? It's not going to be the same. And so guys have a little transition process. You might see a guy have awesome film in college, get to the NFL, and just that, that transition process either takes a while or just not there. And then you also have guys, of course, you know, there's Alabama, USC, Notre Dame, Iowa, Wisconsin, right? I mean, these schools just kind of just produce these offensive linemen. You don't really have to worry about But I think that the biggest difference between college and NFL is maybe this is the way anywhere outside the SEC conference. But, you know, when I played at Oregon, I I got my schedule and I could circle like seven games where I was going to play a defensive end who I just could play 79% against and never give me problems. Right. Like just it didn't have I played two guys a year. Typically, whoever was at USC. Right. It was it was Everson Griffin and Lawrence Jackson and Feely Moal and and, and Cedric Ellis like, you know, there was just. Everyone got drafted USC. It was right in the P. Carroll's heyday. And maybe a guy at UCLA or maybe a guy at, at Washington or like just some random guy. Otherwise, I didn't play any other pros ever. Never, right? They never had to play a pro. And so we get to the NFL, obviously. Everyone's a professional. So every rep has got to be 100% because the second you do not play up to full speed, you get beat and you get someone hurt. And that's a big difference to me is just that the quality of, of play, obviously, is much better than the NFL. And yet practice is much harder, of course. Games are much harder. And in college, again, I mean, you can pencil if you're if you're a decent team in college football, you pencil in those eight, those eight wins. In the NFL, you don't pencil in any wins. You can't do that. You can't beat any Sunday. And that's what makes the NFL, I think, so much different than college football. No, we always have a, a pool going about which team is going to be the last one to win an NFL game. But another point that you raised that I want to nail for folks is the top 2% of college football players get to play in the NFL. And while yeah. we talk about that being professional football, there's professional football all over this region yes. uh, that we call North America, and there's lots of players in it. So the guys that Jeff is playing against are absolutely at the elite. And most of those guys are getting drafted in the first half of the NFL draft. Mm-hmm. But as we see often, Jeff, there are some guys that get drafted at various positions where we go, I don't really know about that. I have serious concerns about that player. Is there an offensive lineman like that in this draft for you? Yeah, there's a guy that probably go in the first round, Tyler Smith from uh, from Tulsa. Um, I'm a little bit concerned with uh, what, what's so funny, RJ. I'm just crushing your Tulsa guys. I, that's like, what I'm saying. Like I'm just like, no, God, he's trying to give me trouble over here. Here's my. I mean, look, I've I, I've said this before. I mean, no problem saying it again. Um, my concern with him is he's just super raw. I mean, the physical gifts are there, and you see at times it looks really good. But you put on some stretches of film against Cincinnati, you're like, oh, oh boy. Like, I, and here's the thing: that, like, it's very important to talk about the value of the draft, right? So, hey, excuse me. <coughs> if he was taking the third round, no problem, cool. Third round draft pick, that's fine. But you talk about a first round draft pick now, right? I mean, he's mocked to Dallas. You're like, like that's a little bit too rich, right? Like, that's the important part of the draft, right? It's about value and where you find guys, and obviously. Where you get drafted depends on your – it really helps, not depends, but it helps set the timeline for your development, right? If you're a first-round draft pick – you know, I was drafted in 2008. I was a seventh-round draft pick, so I was not on this timeline. But back then, if you were in the first round, you know, they give you a little bit of time to develop, okay? Like, you, now, you're a first-round draft pick, man. You better play right now, and you better play good, or, that, or you're done. Or they're moving on from you in a year or two. You're a third-round draft pick where Tyler Smith, I think, should go. And, okay, all right, cool. You're not going to play your first year, maybe some some backup time. You're, you're the seventh man, and you're able to learn and kind of grow through. But if you put him out there week one, he's just not ready yet. And I don't think a short NFL training camp is going to get him there. And so that's, that, that's my concern. I think he'll be overdrafted. But, look, 
NFL coaches fall in love with traits. It's what they do, right? You look again, super athletic, super strong, can finish well, explosive at times. The problem is, yeah, his hands are off, his feet are off here and there. I don't want to crush the kid too much, but that's, I think, where you get a concern. I'll give you one other guy. I'll stick with, I'll stick with my air raid stuff. Like Abe Lucas from Washington State. I, people are talking about him going end of first round, early second round. I, I don't I don't see it. I, you know, they people are talking about he, he a good, good combine. He's got three years of film, like just lots of film. So I feel bad calling guys out like this, but I just think that you know, we get two. And I, I want to see, can you block someone? Can you block someone? End of story. Yeah, there's certain traits you want to look at and you want to see this and that, but can you block someone? And in the end, that to me is more important than what you did the combine. No, it's a very good point, right? And it's one in which I have conversations with folks that are responsible for evaluating at the high school, college yeah. level as well, going into the NFL. And it's a trade-off between am I trying to take these traits and try to get, get this raw product that I think I can mold into yeah. something else? Or do I want to finish product? And, you know, it gets into what kind of a coach do you think you are, right? We put Bill Belichick for starters in this space yeah. of he could probably see something that he can make work and make it do that one thing in that defense or offense and it goes. But yeah. a lot of us aren't built that way. And we really do need to get a polished player, especially if it's somebody we're expecting to play right away. So I think it's a good point. But yes, I'm, I was cringy because, you know, I'm a University of Tulsa graduate and I'm going... All right, it'd be nice if we had a second first round pick for the first time in like you, 30 he's years. Probably, he's probably, I mean, you look at you have the top four tackles, right? So you have, you know, Neil and Icky and Cross and Penning. I mean, they're probably going from one to not one, probably now, but probably three ish to probably no lower than 17 with the Chargers. If you're looking for a tackle after that, you're going. I, at least what I've seen so far, Tyler Smith, you own Raymond from Central Michigan. I mean, you're like, yeah, it's kind of like. I think Tyler Smith might do it, man. I think he, if the Cowboys want to tackle, he might be their guy uh, later in that draft. So I'm curious. He might be a first-round draft pick. Who's, your, who's the other one from Tulsa? Who's the other first-round draft Chris pick? Paul. Yeah? Yeah? Chris Paul? Maybe? Or are you talking about the one that went last year? That's Zayvon Collins. Oh, okay, like, yes. Thought, okay. Collins, yes. Okay, yes. my bad. I thought you were talking about an offensive lineman that could go, and I'm like, okay. No, 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 no. I'm at last. Oh, so, so he was the first first-round pick ever? No, since like 1977. Okay. Yeah, it's it was a very big deal in these parts because he's a hometown kid Good. and whatnot. Yeah. And it'd be nice to be known as a place that could put out a player every now and again. And, and we do, right? I don't want to act, act like Tulsa's a poor mouth, but yeah, <laughs> it'd be nice. It'd be cool. Um, Jeff, I want to talk a little Pac-12 football with you for just a second here. I'm going through the spring game and yes. I'm going through my process of ranking teams and whatnot. And I saw that USC has 13 scholarship offensive linemen and had eight available in camp for spring practices. Are we sleeping on them? Or is it really just a hard deal for them to figure out in year one with Lincoln Riley? Well, I guess the question is what your expectations are to start with, right? I mean, if you think they're a 10-win team, you're probably too high. If you think they're a six-win team, you're probably too low, right? I mean, that's part of it. Like, where do you come in with this? My my take on this is they were a four-win team. You get them to eight wins in year one. It's a good improvement. You get them to... 10 or 11 wins in year two, and you're right where you want to be. You know, their concern is offensive defensive lines. It's just, it's just not built up right now. And uh, we saw last year at Oklahoma that the offense, you know, again, you kind of had this attrition, right? Where you had for so many years, Oklahoma, you had these first round draft picks, these second round draft picks, 
eventually that kind of dries up and the younger guys have to take over. We saw it just also at Notre Dame as well. We see a little bit of Alabama actually right now, and we're seeing it at, at, at Oklahoma. And the offense just wasn't as good. It just wasn't. And, that, and that's not a fault of Lincoln Riley or Caleb Williams or Rattler. It just wasn't as good. And I think USC is sort of in that in that same boat right now. They lose their best pass rusher in Jake Jackson. Corey Foreman, did, you know, was a true freshman last year, but a little disappointed up to standards, I think. And so they just offensive line, defensive line right now are my concern for USC. Their schedule though is pretty light. The Pac-12 South. No major outside Notre Dame, right? No, the first two non-conference games aren't that bad. Um, I think they're. I think they miss Oregon in the crossover game as well. So they, you know, they miss Oregon. Uh, they got to go to Utah. That's probably a loss. UCLA will be pretty good this year. So I mean, eight to nine wins probably is about where I think USC should be, uh, give or take. Ten would be a lot. That'd be a great year. I think seven or six would probably be a down year for you for 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 year one. I think eight to nine wins is about right for Riley. So. Second and last question about Pac-12 yeah. football. I got Utah as the front runner, defending champ, yes. and I think that's a good spot to be. Who's going to play them in the Pac-12 championship game this year? Uh, so it's got to be a Pac-12 North school, right? So right. Uh, we could we could probably cross off um, Washington State in that. I would cross off Cal. I'd cross off Stanford and Oregon State and Washington. So there's really one school left, and that'd be Oregon. I mean, I just don't know right now. Um, who's going to compete with them in the North. They have the most four- and five-star players on the roster, 49 guys right now in the Pac-12 conference. Um, their defense is going to be great. I mean, the, the reports I have from spring practice, dude, with no surprise, right? Dan Landing is a stud coach. Just offensively, it's what is Bo Nix or, 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 or Ty Thompson going to be offensively, right? Dillingham, the, the new OC, is 31 years old, man. It's a young coach, first time with that offense. But they have weapons. They have an offensive line. It comes down to quarterback play. And they're going to start probably slower than we think. They got Georgia week one. They're not beating Georgia. I'm sorry. They're not pulling Ohio State. It's not going to happen. I'll be at the game in Atlanta. I'm excited to watch you know this new version of Oregon play, but they're not going to win that game. They get Eastern Washington at home. And then BYU at home. And BYU is tough every year. So it could be a one and two start. Everyone's a little down about that. But again, that doesn't matter for the Pac-12 North. I just don't think the North is, is really competitive. I mean, Cal's always sort of tough, but Stanford right now, they're projected to win four games again. Um, Oregon State is a lot tougher than they've been in the past. Jonathan Smith's done a great job there. Washington, again, I Kalen DeBoer, we'll see. And Washington's always always feisty. I'm excited for Cam Ward, though. I, I really want to see Cam Ward in that offense who transferred over from Incarnate Word. That could be a really fun watch this year out West. But it's probably Oregon. It's probably Oregon-Utah again. And Utah right now, man, they, they got it rolling. Cam Rising and what they do on defense – um, I've seen that you know predictions come out this ESPN FPI stuff. They're not even in the top ten. I'm like, what, what are we what are we watching? Like, you're talking about Utah's a good team, man. They go the swamp week one. It'll be a fun game, right? Billy Napier's first home game against a tough, physical minded Utah team. It'll be fun. No, I'm excited for that because uh, we also got a transfer linebacker from Florida who's at Utah, and I think yeah. the quarterback play is going to elevate in the Pac-12. Cam Ward, you mentioned at Washington State, Michael Penix coming from Indiana. Yeah to Washington, Bo Nix coming from Auburn to Oregon. I'm excited for that division, and I like to see the Pac-12 get a team back into the college football playoff. Maybe this is the year to do it. Jeff, when and where can we watch Big Boys Club? Yeah, so Big Boys Club is, is going to be out Sunday night. Uh, it's going to be on, on, on the Fox Sports digital channels. It'll be 7.30 p.m. Eastern, and then it'll be on FS1 Tuesday and Wednesday. So you catch it, I think, 5 p.m. and then later on Wednesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. So 
I'm really excited for this product. The guys have worked so hard to put this together and uh, kind of put a different spin on it that we had last year. The, the five guys we highlighted um, are going to be great pros. They're great humans, have great stories. And I hope you really enjoy it. Look, my my goal really when I started kind of getting into, into analyst work and talking about the game was trying to educate people about the offensive line position. And this is just another way to do that. So I hope everyone enjoys it. We're going to also have individual episodes we spin off on YouTube and whatnot and social platforms of each guy. So you're going to get a little snippet of, of them in the show. Then we're going to have longer, you know, 10, 12 minute episodes. We watch a bunch of film. We, we talk over life and philosophy and transition to the next level. So I really hope you guys enjoy it. It's a lot of fun to, to do it. I know the team has worked their butts off to put together good products. I enjoyed it last year, and I was grateful to know that we were making something for the fans. As a matter of fact, this kind of began because Jeff asked, would people be interested in yes. seeing such a thing? And the response was overwhelming, and Fox Sports went all in on it. I was really excited and also just thrilled to hear some of these guys tell their stories. I can't wait to experience it again April 24th on Fox Sports Digital Channels and again on FS1 leading into the NFL Draft on April 28th. That's going to be a lot of fun. Jeff Schwartz, Fox Sports NFL Draft and NFL Analyst. Thanks so much for joining us, man. Glad to be here, buddy. Thanks for having me.